This episode was produced in cooperation with the ETH Entrepreneur Club, a student organization which aims to inspire, educate, and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs. The ETH Entrepreneur Club holds more than 40 events every year, resulting in an impressive alumni list of successful startups. If you want to keep up with their busy agenda, make sure to give them a follow on social media. When you get out of your comfort zone, uh, this is really when you challenge yourself and uh, you can really grow um, with everything new that happens to you. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Gianluca and Gregory, a warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much as well for having us. Glad to be here. You are the co-founders of Seven Sense Robotics, the company that's building the eyes and brains for mobile robots enabling them to move in crowded and fast-changing spaces. So we, of course, want to hear everything about your startup, but usually we start first with your personal background. So maybe the first question for you, Gianluca, you're Italian, but you also did part of your undergraduate studies in Shanghai, and you also have worked in Germany and been a research scholar in the US. So I wonder in what way has your international background actually helped you to become an entrepreneur in the first place? Well, um this is a very good question. I, I think that uh, um, as an entrepreneur, you need to really be open to uh, novelty. You have to be reactive to uh, unforeseen events. And uh, basically, when you get out of your comfort zone, uh, this is really when you challenge yourself and uh, you can really grow um, with everything new that happens to you. And uh, going abroad, um, to these very different realities, moving from Italy to China, that definitely was uh, uh, quite impactful to me. Uh, I've always uh, lived in Bologna, uh, my hometown, and then suddenly I moved for one year in Shanghai. That was, uh, uh, let's say, quite of a change. I learned a lot. Uh, you have a reverse uh, reversion of roles, right? You you see, uh, maybe you see um, Chinese immigrants in Italy, and uh, you see like. You, you, you look like they look exotic, uh, but then when you go to China, you are the exotic one, you are the different one. So um, this really uh, opened your mind a lot. And uh, the same happened then when I, from China, uh, I, came to, I came to Switzerland, when I went uh, in Germany and uh, eventually in the US. And what then led you to the decision to actually stay in Switzerland afterwards? Because you could have also started a company in the US, for example, right? Yes, uh, perhaps so. Um, what I really like uh, is the European culture. Um, I went to US. I was extremely curious. I let's say really enjoyed the the, the campus life. Uh, I think that as a student, uh, it's, a, it's a very nice opportunity. Definitely, again, you are exposed to a different culture, different way of uh, doing research, um, many opportunities. Uh, but at the end of the day, I I somehow. Uh, didn't feel as uh, at home as I do feel when I'm in Switzerland. Like uh, I like uh, um, definitely a European culture uh, probably better, and I, I feel here at home. 
That's a fair point. So now you can still tackle the US market out of Switzerland if you want so, right? <laughs> Indeed. So let's also talk about your background, Gregory. You focused on research. Uh, you earned your doctorate of science from ETH and were also a postdoc research scientist at ETH. So how has this scientific background supported or actually also hindered your entrepreneurial career? Um, <clears throat> so I wouldn't say it has hindered it. I would say it supported it a lot in the sense that it actually created my, uh, let's say, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, so as, uh, let's say, when I was younger, before I went into research, I was, uh, I think, just genuinely curious about things. And at that time, research seemed the perfect world for, for you know, um, finding and thinking about new things. And um, particularly in robotics, that's just quite exciting. You get to do many things, uh, uh, work on all kinds of projects. So that has been super exciting. And I guess one thing which then slowly came to mind is that in research, it's always about finding the new thing, about, about testing something and, and basically... Um, qualifying something, some idea, and then once you've, you've done that, you move on to the next thing. So you're always on the edge and you try to push the edge. But what is sort of missing in research is that you never get to actually think things through properly and to actually really bring them to life. And that's something in, in, in research that I started to miss more and more, mm -hmm. that you, you work on, on, these, on these really cool things, um, but then over time, um, you, have to, you have to move on. This is what research is supposed to do. Um, but what for me uh, really started to become more important is that I actually can see something through, that I can actually bring it to life and in the end also have society benefit from it. And that's, I think, where the entrepreneurial spirit comes, comes in, right? That's when you actually want to take something that you've worked on in research and actually transfer it into something that, that the broader, um, let's say, broader part of society can directly benefit from it. Right. But instead of starting your own company, you could have also gotten a job at the corporate organization, well-paid job, you know, earning your money there instead of starting your own business to have that sort of impact or at least getting close to it. So what led to that decision to not go down the corporate path um, with your research background and instead start your own company? Um, so definitely that world is very tempting as well um, for, for many reasons. I mean, there, there's quite a few very cool companies in robotics, so um, I think even the, the very big players like Google, Apple, and Microsoft um, um, do very cool things in, in this area. But in the end, I think if you if you want to um, to bring something to life really fast and and also in your in your own on your own terms, I think the startup way is by far the best. Um, it's just it, it it builds it's an environment in which you can decide uh, what path you want to take and how fast you want to progress. Uh, so the only thing that limits is limits you is basically yourself. And I think, um, although many corporates try to change that um, in the corporate world, this is still often there's too much bureaucracy. It, it, it's just really difficult to to make this this big impact. And in the end, it's also about opportunity. Right after the PhD, um, it, we just had this opportunity. We had this technology available, and and uh, at that point, it seemed the right move to make. Exactly. And you actually made that move in 2018 when you founded the company and you had eight official co-founders. You know, from the outside, this seems a lot. So I wonder how did you actually find your co-founders and how did you end up with that high number of eight people? Um, hmm. 
So um, I, one thing that I truly believe is that uh, for a startup, particularly in the in the very early days, um, the team is is very very important, and that you that you find ways to really work together really nicely. And we had the opportunity to sort of test that still uh, while still being at at university. So we had um, two projects with industry partners, which also served a bit of as a way to to test uh, have a very early market uh, product fit test. Um, and during that time, um, this group, this initial group, formed working on these projects. And then um, we just really had this initial team already before even uh, funding the company. And that was um, that was in the end also the funding team. And of course, it, you might say that's too many, but in the end also the roles uh, um, settled naturally, right? Not all of the co-founders um, in that sense wanted to have a top level uh, management function in the company, uh, but some of them are really, really good engineers that drive the technology forward. I also wonder, how do you then actually make decisions as a company? Do you always have to consult with your eight co-founders in total, or how do you make decisions at Seven Cents? Um, so it, I would say initially that has been a challenge um, from depending on the decisions, uh, but we found ways to really split that, and in a, in a, we have we do have a management team which which takes the day to day decisions, and then if it's more strategic the decisions, all the founders are involved. Um, uh, but that happens um, not as often, right? That's on uh, we, we meet as founders in on a I would say quarterly or half year basis, right? And also one last question on that topic that I'm just naturally curious yes. about is how do you split the shares with eight co-founders? Um, obviously, <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's always a delicate process, right. um, even if you're just two or three. Um, it just makes it a bit more complicated if you're eight. But in the end, I think it's, it's the same questions that you ask yourself. So uh, part of the decision is, is what you bring into the company. Part of it is what role will you have? Um, how much will you drive the company forward? And then at, in the end, I think it's a good initial test for the founding team uh, to, to really uh, find a solution to this, this first problem. I like that. That's a good point. So, so if you get through this, uh, that's, that uh, really means that the team is ready. You can solve most problems that will come your way. No, no worries about that. Some for sure. Can you also walk us through the exact problem that you actually solve with Seven Cents? Okay, so um, what we what we do solve is um, autonomy for mobile robots. That's really um, our core focus. So um, for an autonomous robot to to move by itself, it it needs to be able to perceive its environment. So that's the eyes that we built, and then it needs to be able to reason about what it sees and and how to actually get from A to B. And and the interesting thing is that this problem all mobile robots have, independently of the application that they serve, so it can be cleaning machine, logistics vehicle, and that's really what we focus on. We focus on this autonomy level and we want to enable all kinds of machine manufacturers to use that and to build um, autonomous uh, vehicles in their respective um, industry. Nice. And I also wonder, this is a question for you, Gianluca, at the time when you started in 2018, how did the market look like? Did you have to shape or change anything? Was the market already ready and looking for a solution that you were providing? So I, I think that uh, the, the, the market, <laughs> the, mar the mar market is a bit of a special world because when you are uh, at, the, at the lab and uh, you are basically a research engineer working on technology and say, okay, what's the market for this technology? 
And then uh, you suddenly realize that uh, basically the core IP that uh, we were working on, we are developing and we wanted to commercialize can be used really uh, on a lot of different applications uh, spanning from AR, VR, uh, autonomous driving, um, AGVs and AMRs like uh, logistic robots. Uh, uh, and uh, at that point, the question is, what is the market? And uh, it's not, a, it's, it's the, there is a market like, uh, we really, we, we really I, I still remember, uh, we had so many uh, of those meetings where um, we, uh, let's say, somehow a bit maybe naively like, or with limited access to some inf information, which is extremely crucial at this stage to make an informed decision. Uh, we were saying, okay, we should pursue this way because this is better and or pursue this other. I think that uh, um, at the end, the, the market that we have identified is basically the market where we could see already robots out there. So um, basically the, the autonomy we are building um, is, a, is really uh, a breakthrough in the technology because uh, we allow robots to move where as we say, uh, no other robot can um, because we use uh, computer vision, AI, our multi-camera system. And this is a radically new approach. Uh, but then uh, where, where can you see robots? You can see them in inspection and so on. So the market at that point, we said like, where are the robots now? Can we actually provide robots for inspection only? Can we provide uh, uh, only for last mile delivery, for instance? And eventually we saw, okay, there is actually in uh, warehousing, in production, all the logistic world is automated since 20 years. And they're using legacy technology that definitely has margin to be improved. Uh, it's a conservative uh, market, so it's a challenge uh, definitely to enter. Uh, but uh, let's say um, we started going to um, trade shows and to a bit feel, uh, you know, feel the market because at the end of the day also you realize very soon that the best way to understand what the market is, is to talk to the market. You have to go and find out your market, meaning finding your customers, and then they will tell you if they need your solution. And then suddenly you hear people, uh, head of development for the, in the logistics sector say, yes, vision is the future. Oh, and we are doing vision. So, you know, it started to resonate and uh, little by little, we managed to sharpen our uh, value proposition to this sector. And I think that right now we are really on the verge of saying, uh, yes, the market is really ready, it's getting ready, and uh, we are looking forward really to dive into it. Great. You talk about also timing here, and we know from previous episodes that timing is such a crucial factor to have a successful startup. So why was the timing right back in 2018 to get started with 7 cents? You said it's a conservative market, so I wonder, were there any signs or any specific feedback, as you just mentioned, that really pushed you and said, yeah, the timing is right to get that company started right now? I think that the, the, the main driving factor um, behind Seven Sense is really that even uh, when we're still um, at the lab, we were doing um, projects, uh, research projects in collaboration with industry, and we saw that there was really traction and there was investigation in this direction. So this definitely provided us with a very strong hint. Um, then uh, we uh, managed to capitalize on, uh, on an IP. Uh, so as a spin-off, we, um, we, we basically uh, have um, commercializing a technology 
which has been developed over more than 10 years of robotics research at the, uh, the Autonomous Systems Lab, uh, which is of one of the um, top labs in the world in this field. So uh, this technology on a research level had reached a certain maturity. Uh, we were feeling comfortable in putting it into commercial application. We were seeing initial interest from the industry. So, I mean, you put things together, uh, you put a, a dose of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, passion <laughs> and uh, maybe risk taking into this, uh, but then we move forward. And one thing you also mentioned here, uh, like briefly, was that you basically started with a generic technology, but then had to find the right market for it. So you said you attended trade shows to also get the feedback. You saw where the people were investing and suddenly they also gave you the feedback. This is the future. Was there anything else that helped you to really find the right market because you started with the technology first? Yeah, I mean, uh, starting with the technology uh, is, uh, in a startup is uh, this uh, bottom-up approach um, that uh, brings along a uh, few shortcomings, um, especially because, as I said before, as, as engineer, you are really amazed by the technology. You like to play with the technology and... Uh, <clears throat> At the beginning, you might be lose track about uh, how this technology is actually bringing value to the customer. And there is a very big difference between this because uh, what brings value to the customer is a product. And um, it's crucial to understand that product and technology, uh, the product is what you sell, the technology is what enables the product to, to work and provide the value. And, um, and uh, the, the, the product is really, is, is, is really what uh, has to satisfy different customers in different fields. So the, the main challenge at the beginning was really understanding, as you said, the, the focus where to go and uh, also understanding what is the big opportunity because you, we all suffer from uh, uh, sampling bias. Uh, we are, if you, if you if you are asked by a large company to do a special pro uh, project for them, then uh, okay, they might put the money, it's a good opportunity, but then uh, does it fit into the vision of the company? So uh, also what you have to face when uh, looking for your market is this trade-off between uh, the opportunity, being opportunistic and following uh, potential projects that uh, can bring you money because as a startup, you need the money to survive, right? Um, but uh, on the other hand, uh, you also need to keep faith to your long-term vision and develop the product that will make you uh, successful uh, at the end of the day. I think that's a challenge that we will address in a minute. Uh, before we do so, I also have a, a question for you, Gregory. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you already mentioned you know, your setup with the eight co-founders, but also if you launch your own company, there are so many things that you can spend your time on, right? You could basically work from early morning till late at night, which you probably do, but you could also escape your whole sleep and could still continue working because there's so much to do. So how do you actually decide what you're working on? Um, yes, this is definitely a challenge. I mean, it's, it's a challenge that remains in, in many ways, but I think the very first month of months of, of founding, founding your own company um, bear a lot of challenges in, in the sense of, of uh, um, all the new things that you actually also have to do, right? What you really want to do is you want to focus on, on actually finding the market, on building the product, on actually working um, on sort of the content of your company. But then there's many, many things around it that you also have to do, right? You want to start to hire people, you want to find, um, if you want to find the, the money 
to to be able to hire those people. Um, so you need you need to build up a certain level of administration um, to actually have the company running. Even if you have your first customer, you need to build uh, set things up to actually issue an invoice to that cost uh, to that first customer. And this seems all very trivial. Um, but you have to do, to go through it, right? And you have to, many things you have to, I would say it on the, on the first one to two years, it helps you if you think them through once and then do it properly. And, and this is just something that we um, may have underestimated a bit. So this takes, it takes effort. Um, and that's something I, I found quite overwhelming in, in, in the first, in the first uh, time, right? Um, so this is uh, something we, we've obviously overcome, and I think everyone does. But uh, to all f- uh, future founders that may listen here, um, do take take enough time to to also um, think about this properly and plan it. Uh, be aware that it will come, um, and it's also um, an area where there's actually quite some help available. So there's different kind of institutions that that can help you to support and set these things up um, properly. Is there also any you know, framework that you used to make the right prioritization where you said, I'm going to do this because it has that impact on my business and I'm not going to spend my time on this task, although it's interesting and appealing, but it's not having the same business value, for example. Um, so we tried, I, I would say the only over, overarching framework that we tried to adopt to is, is really trying to be lean and really think in, in short horizon what is really uh, the most important thing now um, to spend our time on. Um, What's your horizon there, if I may ask? <laughs> so I think in, in, in the, initially that was just maybe two weeks or three weeks, and then of course you have you have you think also in terms of months um, to prioritize your work, but but often uh, it's a very short horizon initially um, that you follow with um, uh, with the work you do. At that time we had quite some projects already with customers, so so those are always pressing. But then uh, you have to follow up with with all the other things as well. And then as the company grew, um, hiring was also a process that, that in the end took quite some effort. So this is also a process that takes a lot of time. And I think it's very, very important. You want to find the best people. You want to find people that sort of match with the company culture. And, and um, this is a process that, that also does take time and effort. And is, uh, I think, in the end, something very, very important for, for the company as well. Before we continue with the show, we'd like to introduce you to Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Whether it be marketing, sales, customer care, or accounting, Clara is just what the doctor ordered. Any SME employee can tell you that managing internal processes manually and on paper is just about the silliest way of wasting your time. That's why Clara digitizes everything. An easier, hassle-free workflow means you and your company get to spend time on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. And now, on with the show. So, Let's move back to you, Gianluca, and I want to know more about how you actually did the first sales at Seven Cents. So I think you talked to me uh, when we did the prep call and mentioned that you actually sold an evaluation first instead of the direct product. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, so basically, um, as I said before, um, 
we we see a big market in the logistic and robotics uh, for, for mobile robotics for logistics and uh, warehousing and manufacturing and uh, these are some relatively old companies that have been there as i said for for a few years already and they're using technology which is uh, established uh, is sold by uh, large companies uh, very good track of record so when you when you uh, knock the door of uh, such a company uh, and say hey, we are this startup from Zurich and uh, we would like to give you uh, the best navigation solution that uh, you could have, uh, you know, uh, come with us. I say, well, my solution right now is working. The answer is uh, the, the solution for what it has to do. It's doing a great job. And uh, um, so I really don't see a motivation. Uh, and then uh, uh, basically, the, 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 the big challenge from the sales side is really to raise awareness about uh, what they're missing out, what our technology would enable on top, what's the value uh, that 7Sense can really add to their machines. And at that point, uh, yes, they may be persuaded. Uh, so say, okay, but then how does it work? And then if you say, okay, uh, you are in the process as a company to developing the product. So you want to be lean and you want to incorporate feedback from the customer. So basically what we have done, we have developed an evaluation package that we provide to customers. So we would say, uh, look, we have a pre-series evaluation kit for our solution. Uh, we rent it out to you. We provide all the, all the support you need really uh, to in install it, integrate it, operate it, uh, evaluate it. And uh, we make sure, uh, we really make sure that you can get the most value out of it. And uh, basically this so far um, has definitely uh, helped uh, to, you know, to, to just get into the companies and get, you know, the first, uh, um, allow the engineers of these big companies to, to get hands on of our solution, get the first feedback, and then help us also to iterate already on the requirements uh, that will be in the final product release. Right, so it's sort of like a pilot that you are selling them, right? An evaluation, they need to get their hands on your product. That's the crucial part, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, you can see it as a sort of a, of a proof of concept, uh, very well guided. Uh, of course, we, uh, we try to reduce all the, um, really to optimize the process, to reduce the all, all overhead from our side to make sure that also we can have more capacity because uh, as you said before, we are all very busy and uh, the team is also very busy. So not only founders are the one that are um, working 150%. Uh, so it's really important also to keep all this project as efficient as possible. Right. And one important part here is you actually charge for that evaluation project, right? This is not a free service that you just offer them to get hands on your product. It's really you charge for the services there. Absolutely. So, I mean, on one end, uh, you want to make it easy. Uh, you don't want, it's not, it's not how 7Cents wants to make money. 7Cents right. wants to make money selling uh, vol uh, volumes uh, of the uh, autonomy kit, of the uh, localization kit. So the, the project has to gauge basically the interest of the customer, right? So also if you, whenever you have something free, you don't even value, right? So it really works in, the same, in, in a very similar way. Um, it's at it some cost, the customer has to bear this burden. Uh, but then also we know that you will be committed to really evaluate the, and take value out of this project. 
Now let's also talk about opponents and supporters. Maybe we start first with the supporters and with you, Gregory, who supported Seven Saints along the way to get you where you are today so far? Um, I would say it's almost countless people, right, <laughs> who support us in, in many, many, many different ways. Um, I think what, what um, first of all, I think it's always people. Um, in, we, we had quite some support from all kinds of people uh, who advised us, who, who gave us their opinion, um, who talked to us uh, about their expertise, uh, other founders from, from other startups that, that gave us their opinions on things. Um, but then also on, on the technical side, so um, although we do have quite some knowledge and on the technology side, we, we do still get a lot of um, um, expertise from professors, from people in the, in the industry that we know. So this network of people, um, I think is very important for, for a startup that you try to really source all the information that you can get. This is something that Gianluca already mentioned also initially when you, when you start to think about what is, what is the market, um, uh, which kind of customers can we serve best. So this is all information that in the end um, you can actually find quite a lot of supporters for, right? This is, is information that often sits in your network and you just have to really make sure that you talk to all these people um, that often are more than willing to really help you. So first, uh, it's people, but then it's also support programs. And I think there's, uh, has, uh, I think quite a lot has changed in Switzerland. And now um, there's quite a few um, programs that actually support you in many different ways. So you can um, get help um, in, for all aspects of the company. There's a lot of financial support available also. So we were able to get quite a lot of, of, of grants. And then I think for us, uh, we've had actually the, the, the pleasure of being part of VZurich. Uh, which is also, I would say, in many ways, providing a lot of support financially, but also on, on many other on many other sides. Um, so this is is uh, definitely um, in that say in that way the, the support you should try to get as as a young company. And then I think it's also um, in the end the support that we get from from the, the founders and the team, right? And all their families who in, in many ways support us as well, who, who keep up with, with the long working hours, um, who are fine with, with holidays that might not happen or happen later. Or um, I think that's, that's often forgotten that this is also uh, very, very valuable support yeah, fully uh, that goes into the company. So maybe let's dig a bit deeper into the support initiatives that you mentioned, because I can imagine for some startups, it's a bit confusing where they should apply to, where it's worth investing your time and where better not. So maybe if you had to name a few that really helped you and that you were super happy with their support, what are some initiatives that you would recommend to other entrepreneurs out there? Um, so definitely if, I mean, if it fits, then VZurich is, is a very, very nice uh, support program. It's, it's, I think it's relatively tough to get in. Uh, there's, a, there's a very tough and thorough um, evaluation process. Uh, but for companies in, in robotics and, and regenerative medicine, um, that is really a very, very nice support program. We've also benefited uh, a lot, I would say, from the um, ESA Business Incubation Center. Um, I think that's really a, a very, very cool program. So they provide financial support, but also really built up a community of, of the incubated companies. Um, 
now during Corona time, this was a bit, bit difficult, but they have these regular um, community events where you get together with all the founders of these other companies. And um, there's always a theme for these, for these events where you talk about one specific things, being, be it HR, sales, um, marketing and whatnot. And it really helps to, to interact with all these other, with all these other um, founders of, of, in some ways, similar tech companies. Um, then we've also had great support from the Gebedori Foundation. Um, so they support um, maybe not directly the company, but, but more um, research and pilot projects. Uh, but that have also proven to be very, very helpful um, for us. And then obviously there's, there's many more. I mean, Venture Kick is something that, uh, that all startups should go through. It's, it's a very, very good uh, process of, of being evaluated early, very early on. Um, so I, I think that also helps a lot. I think these are great addresses that people listening to this can actually check out on their own. Exactly, they should. The other thing that you mentioned at the beginning was the importance of your network, you know, the, the people that supported you as individual persons. I just wonder, this takes a long time to actually build up that network, right? Your research career probably helped in that regard, but I just wonder, did you, you know, build that up unconscious? Like where you said, okay, I want to have these and these people because in two years I want to start my own company. Or did it just more happen naturally and then you were able to get in touch with them because you already knew them? I think it's, uh, it's more the la- I never really planned this. I mean, this is something, and I th- actually think I could have done that much more, right? Yeah. Much early on. Um, but what we've also learned, and I think I would can just show one example, is that sometimes it just also you can also just reach out to someone you don't know at all, right? We we have had one very good example where we reached out to the CEO of a very very big company, and just I think Gianluca just pinged him on on LinkedIn, and he was he was uh, he replied immediately and was very helpful. We had a meeting, I think in the two weeks time we had a long meeting with him, and he was was providing a lot of information. And at that time, I just had the feeling that's never going to work out. But uh, it just shows that many, many people are actually really willing to, to help you. You just have to ask. I guess that's also the Italian sales skills, right? <laughs> that were appealing there. What did you actually write to that person that they then said, okay, let's meet? Um, what did I write? I, I mean, usually I, I, I like LinkedIn a lot as a tool for, for networking, also to reaching out really to, I mean, to some sort of uh, cold messaging and reaching out to people. And uh, I just introduced, I introduced myself and uh, Seven Cents. And of course, I, I, I look at the profile. I try to understand really uh, what are the keywords would trigger this person. But uh, generally, uh, robotics is an odd topic if you... If you um, and if you um, if you reach out to people that are in the field of uh, logistics and uh, equipment and material handling, and uh, you know that there is a trend toward automatization of those platforms of those machines, uh, you know that uh, everyone is somehow uh, on the look for uh, new technology for new opportunities to to shine. Uh, so. Um, I don't know. I to me didn't. I mean, I, I felt myself lucky, but uh, I it, it generally happens. I, I'm not sure. I didn't study this anywhere, but uh, sounded like something that worked out of the box. A natural talent, so to say. <laughs> Let's also talk about the opponents. I'm sure you also have something to share there, Gianluca. Who are your opponents that you had to face with Seven Cents so far? The opponents. Um, the opponents. I, I would say that the biggest opponent is the 
<laughs> somehow the, the status quo, as it is an opportunity, as I said before, uh, the industry we are trying to, uh, we, are, we are tackling right now um, is rather conservative. Uh, there are large players that sometimes are slow uh, in, uh, in moving. Uh, large corporations are a bit bureaucratic. Uh, you need to have a lot of people on the same page. Uh, uh, in the year of Corona, uh, you, um, you, uh, you, we had basically a large customer that uh, had our project to escalate to the CFO for being signed and uh, to me, this sounded like, uh, okay, this is never going to happen. Eventually, they signed, so we are very happy we closed that deal. Uh, it was great. Um, but uh, in, in general, like uh, what I feel like an opponent of Seven Cents is a bit uh, uh, that the, the industry we are playing uh, has been as it is for, for quite a few years. And uh, for a startup that wants to move fast and break things, if the things to break are very thick and heavy, <laughs> Let's say it's, it's just a bit harder, right? So <laughs> it takes a bit more time to break things than usual. Indeed. Are there also any competitors that you analyze or have to deal with? Um, the competitors, so I, I don't think that um, the, dar the direct competitors we have, we have uh, mostly uh, a startup, a company from, from US that uh, really uh, we could consider our strongest competitor. Um, regarding the field of uh, material handling, uh, the competition which is, which is now and we have to face is somehow the, also part of the status quo because really uh, they do not provide the same advanced technology that we can provide. So uh, in the end, it also always lies in the, what you define as competition. Right. So you do have an unfair advantage there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, Gregory, let's also talk about the future. That's always exciting, but it just gets a bit more exciting if you talk about the future of a robotics company. So, what are your plans with Seven Cents for the future? I mean, so our plan is clearly, um, in the end, uh, it's really the driving robotics forward. We, we really believe that, that uh, society in general can benefit a lot. And if, we, if you look back... Um, so if we want to look at the future, also take a, look, a quick look back. I think automation is something that, that always has a bit, been a bit scary for people because it always has this flavor of, you know, replacing people or, or, or threatening jobs. But in the end, if you look uh, on a broader scale over the, of the, on the last 100 years, automation has been a key driving factor, I would say, of, of, of the prosperity of our um, society. And I think this is something we want to push forward. So this is really, I would say, the underlying vision. And um, for the future for the company, we, we really believe that we have all the things ready to, to, to become uh, one of the most important providers of autonomy solutions. And I'm, I'm convinced that robotics will, will um, really be driven forward a lot over the, over the next five uh, to ten years. We will see many more robots, not just in logistics, not just in, in warehouses and production floors where we uh, in general don't see them, but also in more applications that that are much more common um, in our daily life. So I think cleaning is something which is going to be transformed over the last five to ten, uh, ten years, but also other applications when it comes to last mile delivery, um, when it comes to delivering things in, in more common places such as train stations, um, hospitals. These are all places where there's, there's actually a huge potential for, for making things much more efficient and for taking these dull parts of, of many jobs um, and, and handling them with a machine. Right. 
And, you know, if you look a bit further down the future, and do you plan to build a global leading company in, in that space? Or do you think it's more likely that you will eventually get acquired at one point? Any thoughts on, you know, the potential exit scenario? So, I mean, exit is, uh, I think for any startup, I mean, exit is always something that is in, in your mind, right? That this uh, is just one way of, of really being su successful. Uh, if you have another company that wants to buy the full company, it really means that you've built something up, which is, is very valuable. But what in that sense, what we really want to become is the leading um, tech company when it comes to autonomy. We want to be the, the, the most, the, the best player in, in that specific area. And we want our technology to drive robots. And if that in the end means that we, we, we are required by a bigger company to drive this forward, then that, that may happen. But the goal is really to build this up and actually make it, uh, make it a, a, a real thing. Or eventually an IPO, that could also be an exit strategy. I think that wouldn't really harm the Swiss startup ecosystem. No, that's, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, a way forward that I would love. Uh, I think at this stage, it's, it's often a bit, uh, it feels like uh, it's, it's early to really talk about it. But that would definitely be a, a very nice uh, scenario as well. But it's good to know that you have that on your mind. So we'll we see do. what the we future do. will be. Exactly. Whenever we wrap up the episode, we also ask our guests about their personal and gadgets and resources. So from you, uh, Gregory, are there any books or podcasts, blogs or gadgets that you can recommend to our listeners? Um, hmm. So what I would uh, suggest is generally in terms of gadgets, uh, a pen and paper. <laughs> That's always very good. Um, that's something you should, should uh, it's important to note down the, the small things, right? It's the, the small ideas that you have uh, throughout the day, uh, that you have a way of, of really keeping track of that. Uh, that's something that has helped me a lot. Um, in terms of books, there's a lot of literature about, uh, about um, um, startups, and I find, it, I find it really good to, to read a lot of it, but then also to, to take it with a grain of salt, right? Um, and what I've also learned is that it's quite interesting to, to try to read about stories where startups have failed because you read a lot about the very successful ones and, and they, they, a lot of the successful founders try to tell your story and advise you how to be as successful as they were. Um, but in the end, that's sort of also a sampling bias, right? Because you only read about the successful sure. ones. Yeah, I think you can also learn a lot from the ones which have been uh, unlucky or, or where the timing was not right. And, and there's a lot of things you can also learn from these stories as well. A great point. What about your resources and gadgets? So my, my resources, um, I also like to take a lot of notes. Uh, I take them uh, on an iPad uh, with a stylo. Uh, that's actually a great thing uh, to, to have, uh, to sort everything, uh, to, to label everything, because um, at the end of the day, I used to take a lot of notes on, on paper and then one book is finished, then uh, you, you have to get a new one and then the old notes uh, get a bit messed or lost. So um, I actually like uh, this uh, electronic support quite a bit. On the book side, I, I, I read recently um, Think Fast, Think Slow uh, of uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, uh, the Nobel Prize. And uh, it's really nice. Uh, I, I found it uh, extremely uh, interesting on how he approaches basically the analysis on how people think. And uh, it really helped me also to understand uh, how you have to take decision because 
uh, when you're in a startup, uh, in general, I guess that when, you, when you're working in a company, but in a startup specifically, and uh, you have a lot of, uh, um, to do, take a lot of decisions with uh, very partial information, you have to be extremely aware about what are your biases, where are your mistakes, and how your brain really would trick you and uh, uh, let you to decide something just because it, this is how your brain is hardwired. So being aware of that is uh, the, the first step towards like uh, making a very rational decision and uh, I would really recommend this book to, to everyone. Um, and um, another reading um, is uh, the Harvard Business Review, I have actually a subscription to that, uh, not that I want to do specific advertisement. Uh, my son, uh, it's quite, uh, um, say it might seem a bit corporate as a reading. But I really found also how, um, how well many of the articles there really translate to the startup world. Uh, uh, in the end, it's a, um, a startup is a scaled-down reality uh, of, of a bigger corporation. And uh, uh, so I found it extremely useful. I found the very interesting insights. Great. I think nobody ever shared that. So that's an unexpected addition to our resource list. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And the very last part for today are some rapid fire questions. I ask like one of you each and then uh, we just move on. I give you a selection of two options and you have to make one selection and quickly explain why you made that selection. Are you ready? I guess. Let's start with you, Gregory. Humans or robots? Robots, obviously. Of course, because of your startup, right? Because, yeah, because that's what, what we do. The robots are awesome. Fantastic. Uh, Gianluca, building or selling? Well, in my role, I need to say selling, right? So uh, the, the funny part uh, is that also switching like, or shifting from an engineering role to, to, to a sales role is that I started to build something to uh, selling something that, I mean, uh, sometimes like uh, is, is, not, is not yet there. You have to look a bit more in the future, really understand what the customer wants, and then the building is done by engineers. So I would say selling. Fair point. Gregory, Apple or Google? Oh, I would say Google. Okay, why? I, I don't know. Uh, like the logo better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reasoning. Gianluca, for you, Switzerland or Italy? I, my, my heart is in Italy, so, and uh, there's where the good food is. Fair point, yeah. And the last one for you, Gregory, lake or mountains? Ah, mountains. Why? I like skiing, skiing and, and snowboarding a lot, so uh, I like to be in the mountains. Fantastic. Gianluca, Gregory, thank you so much for your time and for the great story and all the learnings you shared with us today. We wish you all the best and lots of success for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you to you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.